Amen. Great job to our team leading us in worship this morning. I want to take a moment now to uh, dismiss our children for kids crew. So this is going to be for kids who are fourth grade and under. They're going to head upstairs with our uh, leaders for our kids crew worship time as they're making their way upstairs for that. I want to encourage you to turn your Bible to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. We're starting a new sermon series in the book of Romans today. And I'm excited for this. I've been excited for this. I've talked a little bit about it the last few weeks. Uh, We're going to start a study today in the book of Romans that will carry us through a large portion of 2022. In fact, from now until May, we'll be studying the first nine chapters of the book of Romans. We're going to take the summer off of our study in Romans to study something else. And uh, what, I'm not going to say just yet because we're still working on that, but we're going to do the thing in the summer like we did last summer where we adapt our Sunday school curriculum, our small group material, weekly podcast, what we preach, on all, everything that we're doing in a church kind of centered around one theme, one direction that we're moving together for the summertime. And then we'll pick up Romans again in the fall just after the, the summer ends, really in the month of August. We'll pick up Romans and continue until we finish Romans just before we roll into Advent next year. So a big part of 2022 is going to be devoted to the study, a systematic and a thorough study of the book of Romans. And I'm excited for that because the book of Romans has so much to speak to us today. One of the things that that I, I know is not lost on any of us is the fact that increasingly it seems like our culture is polarized over everything. Am I, am I right? I mean, and even just the fact that I may have said our culture is polarized over everything, and some of you, your first thought was, no, it's not, is, is proof that we're polarized over everything, right? Everybody has an opinion about everything, and we go online, and we post, people post their opinions, and, uh, and sometimes it's political. There's a lot of political divide, but it's so much more than that. There are, uh, there, there's a divide that exists in, in, in terms of every little thing. Maybe it's the sports team that you cheer for. Maybe it's where you live. Maybe it's who you voted for. Maybe it's what kind of music you enjoy. Maybe it's the things that you like to do in your, in your leisure time, things that you do. to. Right? It doesn't really matter what it is. The point is we live in a world where it just seems like increasingly people want to pick sides. They want to draw lines. They want to, they want to uh, pick a side. They want to, you know, in a sense, kind of uh, pick a fight. And in so many ways... That is a very similar contextual background to what's happening in the time that Paul is writing the book of Romans to the church in Rome. Now, the reason that the the book of Romans is called the book of Romans, you probably figured this out, is because it's written to the Romans, right? Well, who are the Romans? It's written specifically to the church, or or really many believe a group of, of churches or house churches is maybe what we would think of them as today meeting in the city of Rome. And in fact, if you were to just keep your place in Romans 1 and you thumb back to Romans chapter 16, you'll see in Romans chapter 16 a whole bunch of names and a listing of names as Paul is naming people and identifying people that he wants to speak to. And he's saying greetings to these people. And with each of these, a lot of Bible scholars believe what he's doing is he's identifying a different house group, a different, a different home group that this 
letter would have been circulated and read amongst these home churches or these house churches uh, that were all a part of the greater church. But we need to understand a little bit about the context of what's happening in Rome. Now, you, you know that the city of Rome itself was the capital of the Roman Empire. And the city of Rome was, the, was a grand city in every sense. I mean, everything about the city of Rome was was state-of-the-art, it was advanced, it was modern. And if you've ever, in, in maybe a history class or on the History Channel or something that you've read, if you've, maybe if you've ever seen or, or learned anything about the, the technological advances of the Roman Empire, you know that technology in their day was a, a large part of what helped the Romans rule for such a long period of time. And even at the time that even at the time just before that uh, the letter of Romans would have been written, there was an emperor who reigned in Rome named Claudius. And Emperor Claudius during was really something maybe the sort of the height of Roman Empire and Roman culture in, in a number of ways. Now that's, I suppose, a matter of debate for historians that, that know a lot more about it than I do. But nonetheless, we know that they're, they had an advanced culture for, not just for their day, but even in our day in a lot of ways. A lot of things that we enjoy today were invented in some level by the Romans. Things like, things like uh, our systems of running water and uh, using hot water and, and the, the, on and on and on. We could go on about these advances, these technological advances that the Romans pioneered that helped them establish this this. Uh, this predominant, this, this dominant rule. But you also need to understand that they didn't come to power because everybody else thought, oh, the Romans have it all figured out. They came to power by, by force as well, with violence. They, they amassed armies and conquered nations. And so at the time that, again, that Paul is writing, most historians believe that Paul wrote the letter to the Romans from Corinth during the time of his third missionary journey. So this would have been in the late 50s, okay? And I don't mean the 1950s, I mean the 50s, right? AD 50s, that Paul would have been writing the letter to the Romans from Corinth. And before he, before he was to go to Rome, which he desired to go to Rome, he knew that he had to go back to the city of Jerusalem and take an offering to the church and, and support the work and help the work of the church in Jerusalem. And, and so the Spirit hindered him. He's saying, I long to come to you, but, but I'm not going to do that because I'm going to do what the Lord has. So he writes this word to encourage the church in Rome until he could be present with them or among them as he desired to do to advance the work of the gospel. In the year 49 AD, Claudius kicked all of the Jews out of Rome. There arose a dispute over... Uh, there's one, there's one uh, non-Christian historian, just a... I hate to use the word pagan, but I'm going to use that word because it wasn't a Christian historian. A pagan historian named Suetonius who wrote that, that Claudius kicked the Jews out of Rome because a dispute arose over a figure named Crestos. Crestos was spelled with an E, where we might expect the letter I, because otherwise it would be Christos. And so, again, many, many uh, Christian historians think that 
Sidonis just, uh, he just misspelled the name and that it was a dispute over Jesus. That as the church began to grow and as the church and the Christians began to gain influence and the Christian worldview began to take over, it upended a lot of the Roman teachings. Not only their religious teachings, but even the social fabric of the day was upended because now slave and Jew and Greek and Gentile and all of these were, were on an evil playing field at least at the foot of the cross. The ground was level at the foot of the cross. And in that sense, it really began to, it began to affect culture at large. And so Claudius, seeing this, kicks the Jews out of Rome. And as the Jews are kicked out of Rome, the Gentiles who remain, Roman citizens and, and, and non-Jewish Christians who were in the city, began to meet together and study the word together. And, and the work of the church continued to grow and the church continued to develop and their faith and their teaching continued to advance. But in this sense, without the presence of the Jewish Christians who had been an influence in the culture and, and their faith in so many ways. And then slowly over time, the Jews were allowed to return back into the city. And as the Jews returned back to the city of Rome, now instantly you can see that there would be divisions. There would be divisions because the Jews are going to walk in and they're going to feel like, well, Jesus came to us. Jesus was one of us. He came to us. And they're going to feel maybe a, to a certain degree a sense of, uh, a sense of um, superiority or at the very least a sense, of, a sense of authority that is derived in who they are. And the Gentile Christians, the non-Jewish Christians are going to say, no, that, we don't need any of that stuff. That's not what we were taught. That's not what Jesus taught. And so there were divisions that arose between the Jewish and the Gentile audience. And a lot of it had to do with just, again, the cultural setting of the day. And so Paul is writing this letter to deal with those issues. Now, the book of Romans itself, as you study it, is perhaps the most complete work of systematic theology that we have in the New Testament. It is not a systematic theology in and of itself. Paul is not writing a theological textbook. He's, he's writing a letter that speaks to real people in real circumstances, in real situations, with real issues that are happening. And that's all called the occasion or the purpose for the letter. And yet, nonetheless, in dealing with the issues that, were, that have arisen in the life of the church, Paul deals with a great number of important theological issues. And so that's a big part of why I wanted to study this. It's going to help us to study sort of systematically through a number of theological issues that will be good for us, important for us to consider, but also to do so against this backdrop of a church that we can identify with because there are divisions in the church today. There are divisions in our culture. There are divisions in our world over so many things. And so Paul's words not only carry the, the authority of the Holy Spirit as he's speaking them to the church in Rome. But we know, because it's contained in our Bible and our scripture, that this was divinely inspired. And so it continues to speak with an authoritative word for us today that we're going to study and, and dig into. So I'm excited for us to, to dig in and study together in the book of Romans. And to begin this morning, we're going to look at the first 15 verses. So would you read with me together Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 1. And then we're going to read through verse 15. It's kind of our focus for our, our message this morning. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which promised beforehand through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, 
through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank God, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. And I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation, both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also, who are in Rome." Within these opening verses, literally within the, the first few words, Paul identifies for us himself. Uh, he identifies his, his Savior, which is the reason why he's writing, right? It's to tell us about Jesus and encourage our faith in Jesus. And he even points to his audience, who he's writing to. In verses 1 and 2, he identifies himself. In verses 3 and 4, he identifies Jesus, the one whom this is all about. And then in verse 5 through 7, he's, he's speaking to his audience, both Jews and Greeks alike, to all who are in Rome, loved by God, called to be saints. This is everyone who's a part of the church in Rome. And he writes this word to them that is all about the gospel. The theme that emerges again and again throughout the book of Romans is the power of the gospel. And in next week's message, we're going to focus specifically on verses 16 and 17 next week that are some of perhaps the most familiar words from the book of Romans and maybe amongst the most familiar words of the whole New Testament. Uh, the New Testament. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God unto salvation. Right? And we're going to study that and look at that, that power that the gospel has in our lives. But this, this idea of the power of the gospel comes up again and again throughout the book of Romans. Even three times in the verses that we read this morning, Paul uses that word gospel. That word gospel actually comes, at least in our English language, it comes from the Old English, and it was two words in the Old English. It was the word good spell, or in other words, good news is literally what it means. So that word, as, as we have it in English, that word gospel, literally just means the good news. In the Greek language here, this is, of course, written originally, Paul wrote in the Greek language, and the word that is used there in the Greek is the word euangelion, and you've maybe you've heard that word before, you've heard, maybe you've done some Bible studies on that word, but it's very similar. In fact, it's, it's a derivative of, or from it, I should say, we derive our word for evangelize or evangelism is derived from that word. It means the, the gospel, that good news. It's the message of Jesus. And so he's saying there's power in the message of Jesus. There's power in the good news about Christ. And I want to write to you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to address some of these issues that, are, that you're finding in your midst because the thing that will unite us, the thing that will, that will encourage us, that will mutually encourage us, the thing that will strengthen us is the power of the gospel. And so the gospel plays an important role in our lives, not only as individuals, but also as the church. And, and so I want us to see even three things that, that he points to here about the, the importance of the gospel in our lives. The first thing is that the gospel shapes our identity. The gospel shapes our identity. Now for Paul, 
Everything about his life was transformed by the power of the gospel, by the message of Christ. If you go back in the book of Acts, you, you see the story of Paul's conversion. Paul was radically changed, radically saved, radically transformed by the gospel. In fact, so much so that not only did his, his identity and in, in, in the sense of his behavior change, but literally even the name that he went by changed. So we know him before Acts chapter 9, we know him as Saul, and then from Acts 9, in the time of his conversion on the road to Damascus and forward, we know him as Paul. Now, Saul would have been his, Saul would have been his Hebrew name, and Paul would have been his Roman name. Uh, that, that is the difference, I suppose, why, is, is, is just different languages, different cultures. And so Saul, his Hebrew name, he had, uh, he had uh, Hebrew roots being from being from uh, the, the, being a Jew, being from that area, but he also he had Roman citizenship. He was a Roman citizen because of because of his family and his father. And so, uh, given that he was a Roman citizen, he had a, a Roman name or a Roman moniker that he would go by as well. And so, everything about Paul's life changes as he meets Christ on the road to Damascus. He's transformed. He's saved from his sin. He surrenders his life to Jesus, and it changes everything about his identity. And the truth is, that's not just true of Paul. That's true of everyone who comes to faith in Jesus. The gospel shapes our identity. It shapes the way that we see ourselves. It shapes the way that we understand who we are and and what we're called to do. And, And everything about our lives filters through this lens of the power of the gospel. And so that Paul even refers to himself as a servant of Christ Jesus. Now the word there, the word servant, is the word that that we would use for, maybe we would say servant or bond servant or think of it as an indentured servant. In other words, Paul is saying, I, am, I willingly have surrendered my life to Jesus. I am willingly the servant, the slave of Christ, the bond servant of Christ, that he may use me for his kingdom and his glory. He, he understood that when he came to faith in Jesus, he gave everything to Christ because Christ had given everything for him on the cross. And this shapes everything about Paul's life. Look at, even in this passage, look at some of the things that Paul says, Paul being a good preacher, he alliterates a few things. Let me, let me point to some of these words for you here. Paul, because of his identity as a servant of Christ, he believed in the promises of God. Look at verse 2. He speaks about what was promised beforehand. By the way, I'm going to point to several words here that begin with the letter P, right? Like I said, Paul was, he was a good preacher. So don't think that preachers invented all of this today where we try to line up our sermon points and those things. Paul does the same thing here, right? He believed in the promise of God. Not only that, he lived in the power of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 4. Declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection. He believed. He believed in uh, this and he, and he lived by the power of the Holy Spirit. He championed the proclamation of the gospel. Look at verse 8. He says that, that he wants to proclaim Christ and he's, that he thanks God that they too, through, through their faith, the gospel is proclaimed to the ends of the earth. He championed the proclamation of the gospel. In verse 10, we see that he labored in prayer for the church. He labored in prayer for his fellow believers. And then in verse 15, we see that he prioritized the ministry of preaching the gospel. And so 
Paul says everything about my life, everything about what I do, everything about, I mean, he gave up everything in order to follow Jesus. And he centered his whole life around proclaiming the gospel, building the church, establishing these, these uh, gospel churches in cities throughout what we would think of today as Asia Minor, throughout much of the Roman world or the prominent Roman world in that part of his, of his day. Paul gave everything because he saw his identity first and foremost as a servant of Jesus. And as a servant of Jesus, his mission was to, was to honor Christ and build the church. Now, you and I, what's it look like for us to have our identity shaped by the gospel? Well, that means that, does that mean that you need to become a missionary like Paul? Not necessarily. Not, maybe for some it does. Maybe for some of you, God is calling you to forsake all and go to a different culture and go to a different people and maybe even go to a different part of the world and share the gospel and, and give your life to, to advance the gospel and build the kingdom of God. He's done that with some. He continues to do that today. Even in recent days, there's been a lot of talk because we've just come off the season of giving for our Lottie Moon Christmas offering. And there's, so there's been a lot of talk in Baptist circles that, that I swim in some of, of the work of the International Mission Board and how we're working to advance the gospel and that our cooperative program giving is up uh, significantly as we roll into the new year through the, the first quarter fiscally of the giving year. And, and, and there's, a lot of, there's a lot of excitement right now about that's going to enable us to send more missionaries and reach more people with the gospel. But you see that you don't have to be a missionary. You don't have to be a preacher. You certainly don't have to give up everything and move halfway across the world to have your identity shaped by the gospel. What that means for us is that we would see everything in our lives through this lens of Jesus comes first. The gospel has priority. Jesus has first place in my life. And so everything that I'm going to do, my work, my family, my, my leisure, my, my, my kids' sports, my, what I do in my free time, uh, how I invest what I've been given, how I use the gifts and the, and the resources that have been entrusted, all of that, I'm going to use it to advance the gospel because I see my identity first and foremost as a bondservant, a slave of Jesus. So that someday... When I meet Jesus face to face, whether that would be because I step out of this life into eternity or maybe because Jesus returns again and calls us home, whatever it may be, someday when I meet my Savior face to face, I am able to look at him and say, I, I gave everything to you and I, and, I, and I used everything that you had given me. That's the way we want to run the race, again, to borrow a phrase from Paul in another one of his letters. That's the way we want to use our lives. And that happens as, as our identity is shaped by the gospel. But not only does the gospel shape our identity, we see that the gospel establishes our authority. The gospel establishes our authority. Our authority is not based on our past. It's not based on your ethnicity. Your authority in the kingdom of God has nothing to do with whether you were born an American or you were born a citizen of another nation. It has nothing to do with, uh, it has nothing to do with were you raised Baptist or were you raised in another denomination? Were you raised with no denomination, with no faith? The authority that we stand on as believers in Christ has everything to do with this word, with this book, the power of God that is made available through the gospel as it's revealed to us in the pages of Scripture so that our authority is derived from the gospel itself, the good news, the revelation of Jesus. That's what Paul is talking about here. Declared, verse 4, right? He, he writes about 
that, that Jesus was the Son of God, declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the Spirit, by His resurrection from the dead. So it was the works of Jesus Himself which proved that He was God. Well, how do we know about those works? We know about those works because they're contained for us in the Gospels. Because the Bible tells us the story of Jesus, His death, burial, and resurrection, His sacrifice for us. So as we study the Word of God, as we dig in to know and, and, and obey the Word of God, there's power, there's authority there for us. And Paul uses a word a couple of different times here that's an important word. He speaks of being an apostle. Verse 1, he writes that he is a servant of Christ, called to be an apostle. And then he uses that word again later when he talks about apostleship in verse 5. That we've received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience. of What's Paul talking about when he's writing here about this word apostle or apostleship? Well, the word apostle is the Greek word apostolos, okay? They didn't get very fancy with that because literally they just transliterated it from the, the, the original language into English. And that's where we get the word apostle. But what does that word mean? Well, it means one who has an authority. It, it, it literally, okay, it literally means that uh, one who, who is sent to convey a message we tend to think a lot of times in sort of a modern context, we identify the apostles with the 12 and Paul, right? The, the 12 disciples of Jesus and then later Paul who refers to himself in many of his writings as apostles. And so we think of sort of this, this uh, uh, office of sorts, uh, official or unofficial, uh, uh, this office of, of an apostle. But literally the word apostle means that someone who is, who is sent. In fact, there is a... Um, there's a, an old word study book that's around. It's called Woost's Word Studies of the New Testament. And in that, which uh, it's a phenomenal resource of, uh, of studying the etymology and the morphology of the use of these words. Those are just fancy words that have to do with like how words are used. And so it's a great book for studying that. And Woost even points out that maybe the clearest understanding of this word apostle would be the word ambassador. That, that it's, it would suffice to say that Paul is an ambassador of Christ and that we are called to be ambassadors for Christ. Our authority rests in whom we represent, not in us, not in anything about us, not anything that's good in us, but who we represent. We represent Jesus. And as his ambassadors, we are called to go with the good news, to go with the message of Christ and share that with others. And that may be the person next door. That may be the person in the office next to you. That may be the person that you rub shoulders with or interact with in our community on a regular basis. And it may be people ultimately to the ends of the earth. But our call as the people of God is to take the gospel, take the good news. And we do that built on that authority that comes from the word of God. So that what are, what are we sharing with other people? It's not just a story about us. It's not just about, hey, I used to be bad and now I'm good. Praise Jesus. No, it's a story about how I was dead and now I'm alive through faith in Christ. And the power of that message is contained for us in the gospel found in the word of God. So the gospel establishes our authority. And then finally we see the gospel directs our ministry. If you are a believer in Jesus, if you are a Christian, and I know that's many, if not most of us in the room today, if you are a Christian, then you have a ministry. Ministry is not just something that, that uh, 
the pastors of this church do. Now, we do ministry. I mean, that's, a, that's something very important that we've devoted our lives to. But ministry is not reserved for an elite spiritual few. Ministry is something that we're all called to be participants in. And so if you are a believer in Jesus, you have a ministry. You are a minister. The question is not, am I a minister? The question is ultimately, are you going to be a good one? What kind of a minister? How effective of a minister? How effective of a ministry will you have? And so we're called to be ministers, ministers of the gospel, ministers to one another. Which is why Paul says here that I want to come to you so that we can mutually encourage one another. I think that's, that's, a, really, uh, that's a really important idea, the idea that we would mutually encourage one another. The writer of Hebrews tells us that we're not to forsake assembling together in order that we might encourage each other toward love and good works. That we're to spur each, one, uh, each other on. We're to push each other. We're to, we're to encourage each other to advance the gospel. As we work together, we would mutually encourage each other. That means that you encourage me. And that means that I encourage you. That means that you You have a role to play as a member of this church in encouraging others through the way that you use your gifts, through the way that you use your voice, through the way that you you take all that God's given you, you bring it to the table and you serve. But it also means that, that you're meant to be encouraged by others who are doing the same. We mutually encourage each other in the body of Christ. We pray for each other. We we show up for each other in time of need. We meet needs for one another. We we study the word of God together. We hold each other accountable. We, we comfort one another when, when we're brokenhearted. We exhort one another when we need strength. We push each other in a holy way, in a gospel-centered way, when, when we need to, to be reminded of what's right, right. It's all these things that we do together as the people of God that we might mutually encourage each other. It's a part of our ministry, and all of that flows from the gospel. All of that. Because ultimately, the ministry that we have is a ministry of the gospel. I don't want to chase this idea too far because it's going to be a big part of the sermon next Sunday. But a lot of people think that the gospel is what you believe in order to become a Christian, then you move on. And that is so far from the truth. Paul is writing to the church, to a group of Christians here. And what does he say in verse 15? I want to come to you to preach what to you? To preach the gospel to you. Well, you'd say, well, didn't they know the gospel? Yeah, they knew the gospel. And yet, that was everything to them. It's not that the gospel was the ticket to get in and then they found something. No, the gospel was it. It was everything. And so Paul is saying, I long to come to you to preach the gospel to you. We want to remind each other of the gospel. We want to encourage each other with the gospel. We want to, we want to hold each other accountable using the gospel. Right? The gospel is everything about who we are. It shapes our identity. It, it has this this role of establishing our authority and it, and it helps to direct our ministry as we work together to advance the kingdom of God and encourage each other. The gospel is powerful. So it is so important that we would center our lives on the power of the gospel. In a moment, we're going to move into a time of response today. And as we transition into that time of response, we're going to stand together and, and sing a song. And as we do that, I'm going to be standing here at the front. Maybe today, maybe in, in the midst of all of this, God has been speaking to you and his Holy Spirit has been quickening your heart, prompting you. There's, there's something inside of you that maybe you can't even understand. Maybe it's just an inner voice that is saying to you that you need to commit your life to the gospel. And if that's you today, 
and you want to surrender your life to Jesus, you want to commit your life to him, then as we sing today, I would encourage you to come forward. Let me pray with you a prayer of faith, a prayer of commitment that you would say, Lord, I admit my sin, but I believe that you sent Jesus to die on the cross for my sin. And even now, I surrender my life to you. I confess you as Savior and Lord. And if you want to surrender your life to him and and commit to follow him the rest of your days and, and have your life, your identity shaped by the gospel, your authority established by the gospel, your ministry directed by the gospel, then I would encourage you to come and let's, let's pray together. Let's visit together during the invitation. Maybe for many in the room, because I know many of us are believers already, but God is speaking to you in some specific way this morning. And he, maybe it's about your identity. Because maybe you struggle with finding your identity in other things. Maybe your identity is wrapped up in your job, Maybe your identity is wrapped up in your role as parent or child, or maybe your identity is found somehow in, uh, maybe, maybe you find that identity in you, the things that you do or the things that you feel good at. Uh, maybe your identity is found in, who knows, there's so no, many things. And what God is saying to you today is he wants to peel all of that away, that your identity may be found in Jesus and nothing else. The gospel, the that first and foremost, as I said, Jesus comes first in all things, before everything else. Maybe for some, God is speaking to you today about your ministry. God wants to use you. He wants to get you off the sidelines and in the game, so to speak. Using you, using your gifts, advancing his kingdom. In order to do that, you've got to respond in obedience this morning to him. So however God is moving, however he's speaking... I want to encourage you as we sing in a moment that you would come and that you would respond in faith to him. Would you bow your head with me now and close your eyes as we move into this time? The reason I ask you to do that is because I want to lead us in a prayer. And even as we prepare to pray, I want all of our focus and all of our attention not to be on what's happening around us, but rather that in this moment we would say, Lord, I'm yours. Holy Spirit, would you guide me and direct me? And so, Father, we ask that you would move in us today. Spirit, speak to us. Guide our hearts. Lead us to trust you with all that we have. And as we take those steps of obedience, direct us. Lead us. Show us the way. Use us for your kingdom and your glory as we seek to center our lives around this gospel, this good news of Jesus. All this we pray in your name. Amen.